would be opening your Bibles to Psalm 126, your Bibles or your devices. Kurt, I appreciate very much your words. I feel a lot like that myself, having the opportunity to stand here week after week. You've got what you're prepared to say, and, and yet when right before you come up here, you have this sense of, of awe, really, and responsibility, this idea of, of, of speaking for God. So I, I appreciated very much your heart, appreciated very much your words as you led us to worship. And I've got to say that this Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays. I love seeing all those precious little kids up front. And Jana turned to me halfway through Johnny's remarks, and she said, you know, it just seems like yesterday when, when Trey was up here and Walker was up here and Weston was up here, our little kids were just starting kindergarten and and now they're graduated or they're in college and our son married and all the rest. It's, it's just so appropriate that they were up here and we're giving them Bibles as today we're talking about joy and our kids give us such a sense of joy. You've experienced those moments, no doubt, in your life of utter joy. It's that moment when the boyfriend finally gets the courage to get down on a knee and ask his fiance to be his bride. He utters those words, will you marry me? And it's a moment of incredible joy. Or it's the joy we experience both as parents and also as students. For, for four years you, you struggle and you work and you take all the tests and do all of the, uh, the projects and finally, you walk across the stage, you receive the diploma, and it's just a moment of amazing joy. Or how about this moment? You carry that baby for nine months, and then finally, your little bundle of joy is born. And, and you have, you're weeping, and, and it's, it's maybe you've gone through several hours of labor, but in the end, there's this incredible moment of joy. And the scripture talks a lot about joy. The word joy is, is found all through the Bible, really, in both Testaments. And it's, I think, a word that should characterize our relationship with Jesus and to Jesus. As God's people, we ought to be the most joyful people of all. I love that moment in Jesus' ministry when our Lord, it's just before he goes to the cross, he's with his disciples in the upper room, and he tells them how much he loves them. And then in John chapter 15 and verse 11, he says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to experience his joy, and he wants that joy to be a, a different kind of joy. It's, it's different than, than mere happiness. Joy's much more well-known first cousin. No, no, this is something that Jesus gives to us, and it fills us up. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot about joy. He helps us to understand that, as I said, joy is different from happiness. It's not something we pursue like happiness. No, joy is really a byproduct of, of walking by the Spirit. And we learn this in passages like Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and so on. 
we walk in the Spirit, the wonderful blessing we receive is this incredible joy. Paul wrote to his more than likely most beloved church, his favorite church, but it was a church that was struggling. And he writes to them in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice because of the division that was was. Uh, a part of this church, they were struggling with joy, but Paul said rejoice. And then the Lord's own brother said, joy is so different that we can have it even in the midst of our struggles. And so he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. C.S. Lewis was an amazing Christian writer. More than likely, many of you have read some of his books. His most well-known book is a book called Mere Christianity. And what you may not know is that he started out as an atheist. There never really was a time when he said, I believed in God. I just didn't believe in God. That's how I was raised. And yet somewhere along the way, he went from, from unbelief to belief. And he came to embrace Jesus. And toward the end of his life, as he wrote a book that described that journey of going from unbelief to belief, he described his autobiography, or he gave the autobiography this title. He called it Surprised by Joy. I think I've told you before that when the Soviet Union, when the Iron Curtain fell, a lot of Christians uh, went to those formerly closed-off countries and began uh, taking mission trips. And I heard the story of one group that went to, to Russia. And because none of them could speak Russian, they would get some Russians who were bilingual. And this one woman uh, was their interpreter for the week. She interpreted all the messages, all the sermons, and at the end of the week, she said, and she wasn't a Christian, by the way, but at the end of the week, she said to those she was interpreting for, she said, I I'm ready to be baptized. I want to become a Christian, too. And someone said, well, what was it that made the difference? And she said it was because all of the joy that I saw, I want to experience that joy. Our journey with Jesus begins in joy. I think I've told you before about that moment when my mother, it is a memory that I will always have. My mother, when I was about uh, in the second grade, she decided she wanted to, be, to, to become a Christian. She never made her commitment to follow Jesus. And as I watched her go down into the water and as she was raised up out of the water, though I didn't understand all that was going on, I looked around that room and I saw everybody was crying and, and, and filled with all kinds of joy. We begin our relationship with Jesus in joy. We're excited about all the new things. We're excited about how our sins are washed away and God gives us his Holy Spirit to indwell us and we have this new life that's in front of you. The joy of beginning anything new is exciting, whether it's your new relationship with the Lord or whether it's finding a new church or being involved in a new ministry that's going to impact the community. It's the joy of new beginnings. And that's what we find as we open our Bibles to Psalm 126. The people of God had come out of exile. They had been enslaved in Babylon. They'd been there for 70 years, but now after 70 years, they're finally able to come back home. We can only imagine how they must have felt in this foreign land with different food and a different language and different customs, but now they're able to go back home. 
verse 1, as it reflects back on that moment of Psalm 126, it gives us a glimpse of what the people of God must have experienced at this moment. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like people who dreamed. They thought to themselves, is this a dream? Uh, Pinch me, I'm going to wake up. This was too good to be true. It, It blew their minds. And so in this In this psalm, in the first few verses, they're reliving the joy that they experienced when they finally got to go home. And then it says in verse 2, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. They smiled and they laughed and they were filled with joy because everything at this moment was right in their life. And this good news, it, it spread even out among the nations. And so in the next part, it says in verse 2 and 3, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. As we think for a few moments today about joy, I think we get a clue right here about how we might experience joy how joy can be sustained or maintained in our lives. You see, the people of God here were deeply grateful for what the Lord had done. There is a connection between joy and gratitude. Many of you probably have been impacted by the work of Brene Brown. And this week I read an article she wrote about the connection between joy and gratitude. In her 12 years of research, with over 11,000 pieces of data, she said in her research, she did not find one person who would describe themselves as joyful without being actively or without practicing gratitude, without actively practicing gratitude. She went into her research thinking, if you are joyful, then you should be grateful. But here's what she found. She found practicing gratitude invites joy into our lives. And so let me say it like this. It's not that joy makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. But the key word in understanding what she's trying to teach us is this idea of practicing gratitude. And so she said that in her research, she found all sorts of ways that people put practices in their life that help them to experience gratitude and thus be more joyful. So she said, for instance, a lot of people have gratitude journals, and probably you have experienced that at one time in your life. You have a journal, and you just write things down that you're grateful for. We went through a time in our life when, when Jana got all of, us, uh, all of us journals, and we were all every day writing down things we're grateful for. She described one lady who um, every day at 1234, 1234, 1, 2, 3, 4, every day at 1234, she would stop whatever she was doing, wherever she was, and she would write down four things that she's grateful for. She would say out loud, in in fact, four things that they're grateful for. Brene Brown said one of the things their family does is right after the meal, after they, after they have enjoyed this wonderful meal together, they'll all go around the table every day and they'll say, so what are we, what are we grateful for? And they will share their, their, their blessings, things that they're grateful for. Why does she do that? It's because gratitude invites 
joy into our lives. If you want to experience joy, a practical implication from this message is that you start being grateful. Start, develop a gratitude practice. And the Lord will fill you with joy. And so in the first three verses of this psalm, it seems like the people are reliving a time when they experience joy. If I was going to outline um, this chapter, if you have your Bible, if you like to write in your Bible, there's a beautiful uh, way you could outline these verses, just these few verses. Chapter uh, uh, 126, verses 1 through 3, I would write the phrase, joy relived, because that's what they were doing. The people of God were remembering that time when they had just come out of Babylonian captivity and how they experienced so much joy in that moment. But 4 through 6, a different tone is struck. 4 through 6, it's not a joy that's relived, but it's more like a joy that's reclaimed. Because in those verses, we see that they were struggling with joy. The tone changes in verse 6. They weren't looking back. Now, Now these verses are present tense. And verses 4, 5, and 6 are a prayer. And so verse 4 says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Verse 1, he talks about when the Lord restored our fortunes. But in verse 4, this is a prayer. He is saying, Lord, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. And so if we want to reclaim joy, maybe you've come into this room today and, and quite honestly you're struggling. You don't have a lot of joy in your life. I, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I've heard of folks who will choose a word for their year. And so this past year, January, Jan and I said, hey, said, hey let, let's choose a word. What's, what's kind of one word that's going to frame our year? And so I said, I, I want it to be joy. Because i got to tell you, I was, I was struggling. I, I wasn't experiencing a lot of joy. And so I wanted to think about joy. I, I wanted to understand joy more. I, I wanted to learn to be more joyful. I wanted to experience it again. Because quite honestly, my life and, and ministry wasn't, wasn't filled so much with joy. And so if you're in that place today, there are two insights in these verses that can, can be helpful to all of us as we think about how we might have that joy, that joy of beginning. Because so oftentimes the joy of beginning gives way to the difficulty of continuing. Now when he uses this image of, of streams in the Negev, understand the Negev was the desert part of Israel. It was south of Jerusalem. It was down in this, this desert. And yet there would be a time when it would rain, probably more like January, February, March, uh, late winter, maybe even early spring, there would be rain up in the mountains, and that water in the mountains, it would, it would come down the mountain, and suddenly it would flood into this desert region, and the desert would come alive. And so when, when the psalmist is saying, oh Lord, restore our fortunes like the streams in the Negev, he's imagining at a time when the, the desert suddenly gives way, and now it's, now it's beautiful and alive, and maybe that's what you want to experience even now, the difficulty of continuing, that's where all of us live. Think about it for a moment. 
we begin our relationship with the Lord with such joy. We're baptized, and we come up out of the water, and oh, we're so excited, we're so motivated, we think we can put hell out with a water pistol. I mean, we are just, you know, we're just excited about our new relationship with the Lord. But then, the newness wears off, and maybe we have some questions that we struggle with, questions that are hard to answer. Maybe, maybe we pray, and God doesn't answer the prayers like we wish. We're experiencing some difficulty and hardship, and suddenly, all the joy that we experienced, we're not experiencing that so much. Well, the writer of this psalm helps us to think about how we might reclaim joy as we minister in this in-between time. Because you see, our relationship with God starts with joy. We're baptized. We know our relationship with the Lord, it will, it will end in joy when one day the skies are split open and we see the Lord coming and we finally get to look into the Lord's face. Oh, that'll be a moment of joy. But sometimes the in-between time is difficult. And so what do we do in these in-between times? Well, I want to show you something, first of all, that's very obvious. Verses 4 through 6, I want you to notice first is a prayer. So if you're in a barren place, if you feel like you're experiencing your own negev, this is a prayer of expectation. This, this prayer is asking God to restore our fortunes. He's asking God for the rain to come down the mountains once again. We can reclaim our joy by praying with a sense of expectation. Now, here's the thing you know about rain. I can't make it rain, and you can't make it rain. Only God can make it rain. I think I've told you before about having that brief experience when I was in Jackson, Tennessee, and they asked me to be a weather person. I'd never done it before in my life. The station manager was one of our members. He heard me make the announcements at church one Sunday, and he came up to me after church and said, you have a nice voice. Would you like to go on television and be our, our weather person? I said, I don't know the first thing about weather. He said, these, none of the rest of these guys do either. You'll do fine. And so I, you know, I tried my best, and after about six months of that, I felt like the Lord was calling me back to ministry. <laughs> I'll never forget one time, I, I, you know, I, I just read what the National Weather Service said, and, you know, it was going to be fair and partly cloudy, but we had a tornado come in that night. So uh, that's not good for a guy who's, <laughs> who's on television trying to predict. But we, the point is, we can't make it rain. And so what this prayer is, is asking is, God, you do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. It's relying on the sovereignty of God. God, we know you are a God who can bring life. You are a God who can restore. You are a God who can do what we cannot do. This is an image of the free-flowing, in-breaking of God. The danger sometimes in our lives here is the danger of despair. We settle into our lives and we say, well, this is just how it's always going to be. Nothing's going to be different. Nothing's going to get better. You're in a rut and there's no way out. But here's the thing. God can turn a rut into a river. God can do what we cannot do. This is a prayer. We're pleading against the status quo. 
God is a God who can bring new life out of a desert. And so some of you this morning were maybe in your marriage at the desert. And you think to yourself, he's always going to be this way. Or you think she's always going to be that way. Understand, we have a God who can turn a rut into a river. Or maybe in your spiritual life, you're just, you're, you're, you're struggling, and maybe you've struggled with this same sin, and maybe you've just resigned yourself to the status quo. It's, it's just always going to be this way. God can turn a rut into a river. And that's what the prayer is right here. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. We're submitting to the sovereignty of God. That's the first image that we find in this verse. As we reclaim joy, we're reminded of the fact that we have an active God. We have a powerful God. He is almighty. He is the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the one who brought Jesus alive again after the third day, after he was in the tomb. And Jesus can act in your life as well. But there's another image I think that's important as we think about reclaiming joy. And now he uses an image out of agriculture. It's in verses 5 and 6. He says, those who sow with tears will reap the songs of joy. You're, you're sowing. You're sowing in tears. It's a hard time. It's a difficult time. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with joy. Now, the contrast between these two images in verses four, uh, four, uh, 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 are interesting. The image in verse 3 and 4, it's, it's not on us. We, we can't do anything. It's God who can bring the rain. We're asking God to do what we cannot do. We're trusting the sovereignty and the working of God, the spontaneous inbreaking of God. But this image is different. This image focuses on our responsibility. We're struggling with joy. What can we do? What he says, I want you to continue to love and work and speak a word for Jesus and tell others what the Lord has done for us. With the first image, the temptation is despair. We lose a sense of hope. We wonder, God, when are you going to act? With this second image, the temptation, is that we just stop working. We, we stop sowing. We stop doing good things. We can be good, so overwhelmed by what's going on around us or by the pain within us that we just give up. And we say, oh, what's the point? We stop sowing. We stop working. But friends, if we keep sowing, understand we will in time reap a harvest of joy. This week I read on social media, and maybe many of you did as well, about the well-known preacher, Rubel Shelley. You may or may not know that his wife has struggled with cancer for a number of years, and the last two or three years, the cancer has come back with a vengeance. And they met with the doctors, and, the, and Myra's tired of, of her fight. And so she knows that her time is on this earth is, is coming to an end. And Ripple said both of them are real healthy about this, and they even kind of kid with each other. Myra kids with him and says, now don't be mad at me if I get to see Jesus before you do. Ripple wrote to a friend, and in his notes to his friend, he said, would you, would you pray? And, and prayers for healing, we've moved past that. Now we're asking you to, to pray 
that my wife will have a dignified exit. But then he said this, Ruben did. He said in the old movies, it was a great moment when a girl let a boy walk her home. And then he said, I'm, I'm getting to walk my girlfriend home. What a powerful picture. And here's this good man helping his wife, attending to her, loving her. No anger or bitterness, just trusting God in this difficult moment. What is he doing? He is sowing in tears. And we know that one day there will be song of joy. Joy is found as we keep loving and keep serving, even in the hard times, even when, when we don't feel a lot of joy, we keep sowing. And we know as we sow those seeds, even in the hard time, we sow those seeds that one day we will reap a harvest of joy. Jesus taught us about this, didn't he? Jesus, the last week of his life, he enters Jerusalem and he looks at that city, he, he thinks about all the unbelief, and what does Jesus do? He begins to weep. And he didn't turn away from the hard. He kept going even though it was difficult. And he kept working, he kept sowing, he went, he wasn't filled with despair, he didn't stop working he worked all the way to the cross, and when he was on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, finally he said, it is finished. He said, my work here is done. It reminds me of Jesus' own words found in John chapter 12, where the Lord said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Jesus sowed his life for us in tears. But on the third day, there were shouts of joy as Jesus came up out of that tomb. And as a result, he gives us this fruit of eternal life. What incredible that's how I want to live. Today, if you find yourself far from God, if you're struggling with joy, the Lord wants to give you his joy. I would love to have a conversation with you down front, or if you've never become a Christian, we have some elders who will be in the back. They would love to have a conversation with you as well. Today, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and sing.